our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all men. Let's sit or kneel. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and minds. And in God's holy presence, we confess our sins as a body of Christ. Together, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of our Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Right. Church, let's stand. And it's really great to see everyone gathered today to worship God. All right, shall I uh, invite all of us to just, uh, don't you go too far, okay? Just the people on your left and on your right, just give them a high five and say how great it is to worship together. Yep, <laughs> happy Lunar New Year too. All right, so today, right, we are going to start our praise and worship to declare with this song that God is indeed our Redeemer, our Saviour and our Shepherd. He has promised to walk with us in the heights and also in the valleys and He will also lead us in this right direction. So as we celebrate, for example, Chinese New Year, right, this whole season, we think about renewal. So let's also renew our conviction and our faith in God and sing not just the lyrics, but really sing with faith, believing every single word that we are singing as we start this song, declaring our hope in Jesus. Come, let's clap along. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing that all is mine, yet not I Sight, the Savior, He 
Just take some time right now. Close our eyes. To say a prayer to God. Acknowledge His place at the throne of our lives. To tell Him that He is our treasure. He is our Lord, our shepherd. Let's just take some time to say a prayer to God.
Father, take your place in our lives. God, may you be at the throne of our lives. We declare, Lord, that you are the treasure that we seek, the God that we need. So, Lord, as we sing this corporately together, grant us the strength and courage to follow you. Come, church, let's sing this together once again. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. This is our cry. The cross Thank you. 
your prayer join me Jesus you're our everything Jesus you're our everything all of our plans we commit them to you Jesus you're our everything Jesus you're our everything all of our words we commit them to you Jesus you're Jesus, you're our everything, all of our fears, we surrender to you. All that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you. The joy and the pain, I'm making them yours. Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through, use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my prayer.
Lord, we offer you our lives as we stand before you today, as we think of, as we make a scan through our lives so far. Yes, all the regrets, all our acclaims, all that we have done that you have allowed us to go through. Lord, we give you thanks. As we look forward all our dreams, all our plans. Lord, we submit them all to you, Lord. Father, you teach us what it means to walk in step with you as we lay them all at the foot of the cross. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us. So, church, even as we come before the Lord in intercession, can I invite you to take a seat? Oh Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us now pray for the church and for the world, and let, the, and let us thank the Lord for his goodness. We look to you, Almighty God, this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, you promise through your Son, Jesus Christ, to hear us when we pray in faith. So this afternoon, we come before you and pray for our bishop. Strengthen our bishop, Titus, and all your church in the service of Christ. We pray that those who confess your name may be united in your truth and that together in your love and may you, Lord, help us to reveal your glory in the world. As we think of this new year, Lord, we pray for our churches. We pray, Lord, we thank you for leading and guiding us so far. 
we ask and pray for your empowerment, your anointing, your empowerment, your enablement upon the bishop and every clergy that is in our diocese, Lord, as they lead your church to honour and glorify your name as, you, as they lead your church, that may you be the centre of every Christian community in our midst. Yes, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your spirit will lead and guide us. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for our government. We pray that you bless and guide our president, our prime minister, the cabinet minister. We pray that you grant them wisdom to all those in authority. That Lord, that they would direct you that you grant them direction, that, Lord, for this and every nation in the way of justice and of peace, that men may honour one another to seek the common good for our country, God, even as they tackle the various issues. Father, we pray especially for those that you have put, for those your servants that you are placed in places, in positions of authority and influence. May each one of them stand up for the truth. Let your word be their guiding principle, Lord, that they may stand up for you. That in every decision that they make, every proposal that they make, God, that they will seek to honour and glorify your name. We pray for those, your grace to be upon our, our family and God and our friends and to all our neighbours, that they may serve you and one another, Lord, and to love you as, uh, to love one another as you have loved us. Teach us, Lord, what it means to love. Teach us, Lord, what it means to love and see each other through the eyes of Christ, that we will learn to accept one another and reach out to each other through the love that you have given to us. We pray right now that you comfort and heal those who are suffering in body, mind and spirit. So at this time, let's just Name them to the Lord, those that we know who are suffering in body, mind, and spirit. Lord, we name them to you. Father, we ask, Lord, that you give them courage and hope in their troubles. We pray that you bring them the joy of your salvation. Hear us, O Lord, as we remember those who have died in the faith of Christ that according to your promise, grant us all, together with them, a share in your eternal kingdom. So Lord, we look to you. We rejoice in the fellowship of all your saints. We commend ourselves and all, and all the Christians into your unfailing love. So merciful Father, we, we come before you and we ask that you accept our prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Hey Joel, yeah. you know I've been really excited about camp this year. Finally, after so many years, it's like camp is back and we're like entering the promised land or that's something. That's right, that's right. I think that is such an apt metaphor, you know. It feels like we've been waiting for 2023 for such a long time and there's just so much in store for us this year. That's true. Thinking about all the exciting things going on in church, right? Like Bedok South, the new centres coming up, the chaplaincy they were involved in, how our youth is growing. I think it's a great time for us to come together as one church to prepare for the season ahead. That's right, and I think sometimes that just means having to reset ourselves a bit, yeah, you know. And in this camp, just trusting God in the process of the crushing mm. and the pressing, and you know, just preparing ourselves as new wineskin to receive God's new wine. Yeah, and I think it's so important for us together as one community to see the new thing that God is doing as He turns broken into beautiful. That's right, and as we lead up into camp, I'm pretty sure all of you are very excited to find out who the camp speaker is. Well, you can take a guess. If you have been in All Saints since the 1980s, you might be familiar with him. Well, I'm not that old. Neither am I. Any clues? Well, obviously, we want someone associated with the best or from the best of the best. So we got someone that comes from the area or around the same area as the World Cup winner. So, Argentina. Well, not Argentina, but the same continent. South American, okay. okay. South America, yeah, and I'll give you another clue. He is an Anglican bishop. It sounds very familiar, actually. I think I can guess it soon, you know, but in the meantime, let's keep the sign-ups coming and stay tuned for more announcements as we will hear directly from the speaker himself next week. And our publicity team will be with us soon or in the weeks ahead to share about our camp theme, which is the word Kainos. That's right. Sign up and we'll see you there. Um, this is a special announcement, um, and uh, we are actually privileged to have uh, the, a couple okay, from Mongolia uh, here in Singapore to share with us uh, their ministry uh, in focus on the family Mongolia. Okay? Let me give you a little introduction to uh, this couple. Okay? Uh, Dr. Konguzu, I hope I pronounced her name correctly. Yep. Um, a clinical counsellor uh, founded Focus on a Family Mongolia to address the pain that uh, she saw in families in her country. Okay? Her husband, Gansu, okay, is a senior pastor for Blessed Hope Church Mongolia and he has been serving alongside uh, Dr. Konguzu uh, uh, in Focus since 2014. Okay? And uh, their primary objective is to provide meaningful help for families in crisis. Okay? Uh, and uh, even the government of Mongolia okay, has recognized the enormous impact uh, of focus on the family Mongolia had, had on the country. Okay? They are in town okay, and would love to share their ministry journey with us. So, and they are also hoping uh, to raise funds for their youth program called No Apologies. This is one of the programs that uh, Focus Our Family uh, uh, runs uh, around the world. Okay. Now, focusing on equipping the uh, church youth workers and leaders so that they could reach out to the youth in the schools. Okay. So, All Saints English actually has a privilege to uh, 
invite them to share with us their journey next week after service. Okay? And uh, we, we encourage all of us you know, who can uh, give our support uh, to them uh, for their short presentation. Okay? And uh, because it's only uh, a week away, so those of us who are interested, please sign up with us soon. There's a QR code, and probably I will also uh, send this uh, announcement uh, through uh, your cell leaders so they can disseminate to you. Okay, uh, do sign up. Okay, and um, yeah, I, I, I hope to uh, receive your signing up uh, by this Wednesday. Okay, uh, thank you. That's all for this announcement. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Let's turn with me to James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you sit over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? 
are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand for the gospel. The gospel is written according to the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 22, beginning on the 23rd, 24th verse. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Luke, chapter 22, verse 24 to 27. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Please be seated. I'll start with the intro first and then we'll pray in a little bit. Okay, so we'll set up today's sermon for a while. Most of us here, unless you're Reverend Gilbert, are between 160 to 180 cm tall, right? <laughs> Unless you're Reverend Gilbert, lah. so um, maybe this analogy slightly, maybe his is slightly more. But within every single one of us, there is an estimated 60 kilometers worth of nerves that our nervous system inside of us, if we were to stretch it out in one straight line, it can form over 60 km in our 1.6 to 1.8 meter bodies. And we know the same can be true with plants, that what we see on the outside can result or rather comes from a large, elaborate network of roots. And of course, we know that cliché phrase about something being the very tip of the iceberg because it goes so much deeper than what we see on the outside. In fact, this concept is not just scientific, this concept is biblical, right? In Matthew, Jesus teaches that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks that what we see and hear on the outside stems from within, that the actions that we take stem from a deeper inner truth. And that's the idea that we're going to take as we continue this journey that we have looking at the five elements, the five aspects of what it means to live a worthy life. As we consider the topic of humility and valuing one another, it begins with that idea that the actions that we see on the outside come from a deeper inner truth. 
Because what we're going to do as we go through the book of James is the book of James is going to point out to us that a lack of value, a lack of regard, if we value the people around us wrongly, it's not just a case of correcting surface level action. It could be a sign for us that we have misunderstood the gospel. That we have misunderstood the gospel. That's a bold claim, but we will explore that in a while. But you know, many of us, and it's true for me as well, sometimes when we think about today's subject matter, when we look at the book of James, right, we think of it as something sort of peripheral. We think of it as a good-to-have Christian teaching. We believe that it's more important to talk about grace, faith, belief, truth, and we see teachings like today as an aspect or as an add-on to the Christian life. But if we read what James is saying properly, we will see that far from it being an add-on, it is an essential Christian truth. That James is putting it out there that the way we treat others has an intrinsic link. It is linked to how we understand the gospel. Even the atmosphere agrees. <laughs> Now, I'm not here to advocate some sort of hypersensitive, holier-than-thou reading of people's intentions and to go around and say, oh, because this person is not doing that, or she is not doing that, or he is not doing that, and we begin to question, maybe all of them don't really understand the gospel. Instead, what I hope comes out from today, what I hope comes down from today, is that we take a mirror and we look at ourselves, that we understand and study the message of James, and we ask ourselves if our own lack of action is a sign of a, of a deficient heart. And that question is not meant to guilt us into realizing that we have fallen short of perfection, but it is instead to inspire us to pursue progress in our Christian life. That as we explore this aspect of humility, as we reflect on ourselves, we may have to ask ourselves some very hard questions. But here's some encouragement to begin. That if the message of James, and we look back at our own life, and it is striking us deeply, that we are feeling that call that God is saying we need to buck up, we need to recognize and question, have we truly understood the gospel because it's not reflected in the way that we live? If we feel that way, if something is shaking in us deeply, our spirit is stirred, our hearts are struck, I want to say, that's good. I want to say, that's good. Don't ignore that tension just because it feels uncomfortable, right? Because the tension is a sign that within us, the gospel is at work. The tension is a sign that we are recognizing, that we are alert to the fact that God is calling us higher and we have not reached that standard yet. He is making, helping us to realize that something in our life is deficient, that we need the Lord's empowering, we need greater surrender, we need to revisit that level of surrender, re-understand the gospel again to live as God is calling us to. See, the heart of all of us in the pastoral team is not to send us on guilt trips, but if we don't share what the Word says, we will be doing us a disservice as well. See, as we share, we are sharing it to ourselves as much as it is to all of us here. And if something in us is shaken, if something in us doesn't feel right, that is a good thing because it means that you realize something is not right.
right? Because it means that within us, the gospel is doing its work and our sin is being revealed. Remember what the Lord desires of us in our journey is of discipleship, to work of, in our journeys towards holiness is not perfection, but progress. And realization is the first step to that progress, right? Remember that it is the people who recognize that they were sick that, it, that Jesus wanted to reach out to. When Jesus came, he said it is the sick and not the well that need the doctors. In fact, if what is being shared today doesn't stir anything in us, that leaves us with two options. One, we are already doing it and we are perfect at it in our lives inside out, in which case the pastoral team is hiring, come take the job. Uh, or second, we are so blinded to our own weaknesses that we react with apathy, that there's no stirring and no interest, that would be even scarier. So if what is being shared today evokes tension, I want to encourage us to say that is good because our spirit is recognizing the standard that we have fallen short of and the standard that we are being called to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your message in James. We thank you for a book that speaks so plainly that challenges us so plainly, not because we are justified by our actions, but because true belief results in action, because true belief changes the way we look at life, changes the way we live. So Lord, speak to us today. May your words come and lay seeds in our hearts that we will be open to, that we will understand the call of your gospel to love as you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we go into James chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and we will approach it like this. We will look at what James charges them with. We will look at the charge. We will then look at how James tells them to check their hearts, the check. We will then look at God's choice and God's call. So the check, the charge, the check, God's choice, God's call. Four steps, let's go. We open in verse 1 with the charge. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The sentence structure that is here could subtly lead us... Ooh, sorry, can you press one for me? Oh, sorry, sorry. Eh? Where is my... I'm supposed to have stuff here. Is there stuff here? <gasps> what happened to my slides? Okay, never mind. We'll do it this way. Just follow along with me verbally, okay? The sentence structure here could lead us to subtly think that the first phrase, show no partiality, is some sort of good advice. Right? That this phrase, show no partiality in verse 1, is some good way to live your life. But as we hold on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, this idea of should, this idea of should, is a lot stronger than a suggestion. The force of the language that James employs is a lot stronger. Where a direct translation of the original verse would sound like this, my brothers, not with partiality, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word whole, in English we understand that in the present tense, but in the Greek, it is connotated as a charge. It is connotated as a command. In other words, James is saying, holding those two things side by side, not one after the other, side by side, hold the faith not with partiality. 
In other words, he is drawing a direct connection between calling them to hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and that in holding on to that faith, the, uh, the people who truly hold on to that faith are not a people who show partiality. That it is not a suggestion, it is almost, it is almost a must. That the people who hold on to the faith are a people naturally it should follow that if you are truly holding on to the faith, you should not hold partiality. The New King James Version tries to convey the, the force of James by phrasing it as a negative. And this may be helpful to our understanding, right? They, were, they translate the verse like this, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. They are connecting the idea that those two things, to hold the faith and to show partiality, are completely incoherent with each other. They are like oil and water, fire and ice. They should have nothing to do with each other. That holding faith in Christ is incompatible with partiality. So then, of course, the question then becomes, what is partiality? Ah, this slide is there. What is partiality? And why is partiality so incompatible with the gospel? These are the questions that James goes on to answer. And if we have the NIV translation, the, verse, the word here is translated favoritism. Right? That is right to some extent, but it can be a little too shallow in that it may come across as if James is dealing with something trivial like, oh, I like you more, so I give you sweet, I don't give to another person. Or, I give the youngest one or the oldest one a table drumstick everybody else cannot get, right? So it's accurate, but it's not exactly there. Perhaps a better word, although this word is a little stronger than what it actually is, but it's closer to capturing the meaning of what James is calling out here, is the word discrimination. Where he is talking about a favour that stems from a personal bias where he is talking about a favour that disadvantages someone or puts someone at an advantage at the cost of another. And this is an important distinction to make because situationally, when we put this into practical terms, the lines can become a little bit blur, right? So put into context, for example, when Jesus was here on earth, he spent more time with the 12 disciples than anyone else, and a naive, slanted view of that will say Jesus favoured them over the others. Or put into our context, this doesn't mean that after this, if the cell leader only buys food for their cell group, right, you are going to tell them that they don't understand the gospel, okay? That's just because you're hungry. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> right? That is not a sign of favouritism. Instead, what James is pointing towards here, what James is pointing towards here, when he writes of partiality, he's talking about a deeper heart issue of how we value one another. Because the discrimination that we may be practicing may be subtle, we may not even realize it at times, but it is real, it is relevant, and it is what James is pointing towards. That the whole idea of what James is charging them with, if I were to put it into a topic sentence, is this. Show no partiality. Treat people as Christ would treat them. So then this brings us to the check. 
We read this earlier, so I won't read it again, right? But we can, I'll leave it on the screen as I talk about it. That this is the kind of partiality that James is talking about. When our regard for someone, listen to this, is no longer based on how God views them, but it changes into a worldly standard. That how we value someone is not by the lens of God, but by how this world sees them. That's what James is driving at when he says that if a man with a gold ring and fine clothing walks in and a man in shabby clothes also comes in and we decide to pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and says, sit here in a good place and we tell the, the poor man to sit over there, to stand over there, to sit down at my feet. It's not merely a surface level, I treat the rich well, I treat the poor badly, but it is an example of what James is driving at, which is to say that these people have began to look at the people around them, not with eyes and the way Christ values them, but in the same way that the world values them. So maybe we sit here and we think to ourselves, oh, we don't do that, we don't treat people based on what they wear, that's good. But the principle applies in this way as well. If someone walks in and subtly in our minds, we are thinking, oh, that guy's from another race, I don't want to talk to them. Wow, that person looks very blurred. Come on, no hope to stay here. Never mind, let's ignore him. Or, hmm, this person is so old. No point talking to the person. Not like they're going to stay in our church anyway. Stay also don't stay very long. Right? If, <laughs> if we have all those thoughts that come into our mind, those are all the types of actions that James's principle can be applied because the type of partiality that James is pointing out can be defined in this way. To judge someone based on their outward appearance and treat them in a way that we feel befits our own judgment. So James is not saying that everybody must connect with everybody or to take the outward appearance principle to the extreme, he is not saying that because everybody must get a good seat in church, so we should only have front row seats and we should build our church horizontally, right? Clearly, on a, there are people who can more naturally connect with some people. Similar age profile, similar profession, similar interests, all are fine. But the way that we value the other person should be with the heart of Christ that we learn to see the each person the way Christ sees them. That James is not pointing to an outward action as the be-all and end-all, but as the indicator of a deeper truth of how we regard each other. How do we see each other here? Do we value each other with the lens of Christ? in becoming more Christ-like, for example, as seekers come in, as pre-believers come in, do we say, oh no, they're going to challenge our comfort zones? Do we say, mm, I'm not comfortable to talk to them? Or do we see them as Christ does and we look at them with hearts of compassion like sheep without a shepherd? How do we look at those around us? How do we value those around us? 
it's hard to equate it into a direct action in that there's nothing wrong with saying, oh yes, this brother or sister in Christ, we connect with them, we realise, oh, they're a lawyer, so we say, let's go introduce them to Uncle Martin. That's not you showing any favouritism. There's nothing wrong in that. Right? That's not what James is pointing at. There are clearly more people who can connect to. But then the heart of that, the heart in that action, already shows a care for them because we were looking at their needs and thinking, how can they fit into our community? In the same way as we were to look for each, and we were to support each other, it's not saying that we need to know every single thing about the life of every single person around here. It's impossible, right? But what are our hearts when we hear of it? What are our hearts when we have noticed that someone is not in, around for very long? Do we value them enough to say, to check in on them, to say, what's up? when people who are especially closer to us in our cell groups or things like that, do we take an interest in them? Again, it's very hard to put a direct outward action, but the principle is simply for every single person in this community, do we value them as how Christ sees them? Or if we want to put that into action, if I know of something and I looked at that person, is my reaction what I think Christ would do? Is my reaction what I think Christ would do? And that principle, rather than a concrete example, can guide our response. And that is a very, very, very important truth to ask ourselves this question. That is a very, very, very important point. Because notice what James says next, after he tells them how to check their hearts, James moves on to say this, that when we act according to the worldly standards of judgment, he comes with a very, very harsh admonition. He comes in very, very harsh and he puts this question to them. He says, have you not then, if you treat them that way, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The language is strong. To make a distinction between someone is to separate the barrier between two people, to put a barrier between two people based on our own judgment. That idea when he says, and become judges, is almost sarcastic. The word judge there is to have someone with legal authority. And then, to put like the ribbon on the bow tie of how severe this message is, this idea of evil thoughts is the, same th is the same phrase that Matthew uses when he says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That if how we value each other is based on our worldly standards, James is saying this, if we separate people based on our worldly standard, we have essentially stepped into the authority of a judge, in other words, into the seat of God, an authority that we have nothing to do with and filled that authority and acted on the fact that of those evil thoughts that come around. That partiality is in that same group, if you like, as murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What James is saying is that when we act in that way, we have stepped into the position of God and attempted to use an authority 
that we don't even have. That if we're judging people based on their impressions and our own judgment, we need to be aware of what the undergirding thoughts of our hearts are because they could very well be evil. One Bible commentator, in fact, often points out that very often the root of such treatment is in fact our selfish nature. That the reason we want to, for example, treat the rich better is because something in us at the back of our mind is thinking, if I make good friends with this guy, I can get good things. That somewhere inside of us, we think that there is power, there is status to get, that we can get something in return. And this should lead us to a heart check, heart check, right? Even for myself, as I reach out to youths, I too am constantly by, drawn by God to check my heart, right? Do I love these youths that I'm reaching out to? Am I making distinctions, wanting to reach out to some more than others? Am I making distinctions, not desiring to meet with some and only reaching out to those I'm friendly with? Do I hesitate to talk to anyone because of my own biases? Do I care for them as Christ did? Those are the tough questions that we need to ask ourselves. And those are the questions that James is getting his readers to probe in their hearts because the outward action points to an to a inside issue, to an inward issue that as James will continue to show in verse 5. So just to recap James's logic so far, he began with the charge. Show no partiality. He then said, check yourself. Are you showing partiality? Right? Look how Christ looks at them. And now he says, you want to know why this is so wrong? Let's look at God's choice. So here James gets to the crux of the argument on why he relates the holding on of faith to showing no partiality. Verse 5 says this, listen my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? James points out plain and simple that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. There is a layer, obviously, by which he's talking about the materially poor, and that's not saying that the rich cannot go to heaven because ultimately, James is sometimes seen as a commentary on the Beatitudes and that talks about being poor in spirit, that we find our dependency on God. And that is ultimately the principle that it is pointing to, but it is equally true in James's weight of argument. It is equally true that it is a lot more easier for someone who is materially poor to decide to trust in God. Not because there's anything wrong with being rich. If God has blessed you that way, that's good. But the poor simply don't have that consideration that they are closer to having absolutely nowhere to turn to but God himself. That the temptation is there if we are materially rich. But ultimately, the poor here is pointing to, a, to whether you are materially rich or poor, it is pointing to whether or not we have our trust in God. Put another way, this is what James is saying here. If you continue to treat people around you based on your own biases rather than how God sees them, you are precisely going against how God has designed His kingdom to work. Then verse 6 and 7 continue. 
but you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? In these two sentences, James very skillfully points out not one, but two errors when we act in this sort of partiality. First, James points out a human error. He simply says, it doesn't make any sense. Right? He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? That our favouring of people based on outward appearance, position or status doesn't even make any sense because they are the very people who oppress us. That we have become so distracted, blinded or perhaps tempted by the riches of the world that we honour based on what we see rather than a spiritual truth. And the second is an even graver error when he questions, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? This is the graver error. James points to say that these very people who we are looking to honour don't regard God at all. These very people who we try to honour, who we are tempted to honour for what they have materially, are not are not the ones who have called us into eternal life. They are the ones who are blaspheming that very name. In other words, if we are treating them that way, it shows that our hearts have not yet turned away from the ways of the world. That such actions reveal a spiritual error in that our hearts are still aligned to the misaligned hearts of the world. That is why the sin of partiality is such a grave issue. It is not simply about buying one person this and not buying one person that. That is almost too trivial for James to be handling here. What James is handling in chapter 2, he is going right to the heart of the gospel and saying, this gospel that we believe, this gospel that we, ha that we have been called to, it makes no discrimination. It reaches out to one and all. And if we who claim to have accepted this gospel don't understand this principle, the question he's posing is, do we understand this gospel at all? That if we treat people out of a spirit of partiality, when we do that, we are like those who have stepped into the seat of a judge when we have no authority to do so. Put a little bit more bluntly, we have decided to play God and decide someone's value rather than value them as Christ did. Because no matter how we see and value that person, Christ loved them enough to die for them. Christ love them enough to forgive them. And if that is the forgiveness and the love that we have received, there would be something wrong in our understanding that we have not yet captured the amount of grace that we have received from God if we are not able to extend that same grace to the people around us. See, the attitude that guides our action is very simply what James says in this verse. If you've really fulfilled the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. That is the attitude. That is the evidence of a heart that has encountered and understood the gospel.
when we are seeking to love our neighbour, neighbour being everyone, not just our friends, as Christ loved them. And here's where we get to God's call, and we'll be done really, really soon. Here's where we get to God's call for us. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. That while murder and adultery are different crimes, committing one of them will make you a lawbreaker. In the same way, if we commit the sin of partiality, we have no defense to say that is not a serious crime. That would be like someone going to court being, judged, being charged for robbery, and then the judge says, what's your defense? And then the fellow says, I never kill anyone, so I'm innocent. That is what's going on here. James points out that when we show partiality, we too are lawbreakers. So instead, verse 12, and that's where we'll end, we are called to live this way. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That those of us who have truly encountered the gospel, who have received freedom from sin in Christ, are now under this law of liberty. That is to say, we are now liberated to live under the law of Christ. We are now liberated to live in the way that Christ has called us to. So let us allow the Holy Spirit to shape us, to live up to the gospel that we have received. That like the gospel, by the Spirit's empowering, we learn to love as Christ did, we learn to value as Christ did, and we learn to care like Christ did. And in this way, as our hearts are shaped more and more, to become like Christ in the way that we value one another, where we think of people higher than ourselves, before ourselves, as we learn to treat others with that humility, with the value that Christ sees in them, that is how we can hold fast to the faith as James started at the very beginning. That this faith that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ who came down died on the cross for every single one of us, He did so with no partiality. He did so seeing us as children that He loved. And in the same way as a people who have received that love to hold on to this faith, we too are called to love, value, and care for each other like Christ did. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word to us today. We thank you for reminding us to love one another as you have loved us. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sin. And as we listen to this video, this song in response as the video plays, Lord, allow us to become more and more like you, to value like you do, to value each other like you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to play this as a response song. And just reflect on it.
was hushed and still And when the bowl was filled He stooped to wash their feet And when it was complete He said this is what I'm asking you to do. This is why I'm kneeling here beside you. This is what I want my church to be. This is what I want the world to see. Who it is you follow? Love each other. Let us share 
the peace of love with one another with these words we are the body of christ in the one spirit we're all baptized into one body let us then pursue all that makes for peace and builds up our common life the peace of the lord be always with you let's share with each other the sign of peace We have come to the time of offertory, so as uh, we sing the song, as the offertory back goes along, uh, do put your offertory inside. You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me. Suffered at the hands of those you have created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. Now today you reign, heaven and earth exalted. Really want to worship you, my Lord. You have won my heart and I am yours forever and ever. I will love you. You are the only one who died for me, gave your life to set me free. So I lift my voice to you in adoration. your majesty gave up everything for me suffered at the hands of those you have created you took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again now today you reign in heaven and earth exalted I really to worship you, my Lord. You have won my heart, and I am yours forever and ever. I will love you. You are the only one who died for me, gave your life to set me free. So I lift my voice to you in adoration. Let us as a church say the offertory sentence together. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. The Lord is here. The Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. Lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is indeed right. It is our duty and our joy at all times and all places to give you thanks and praise, Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God. Through Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord, for he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born as man and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name forever, praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Please sit or kneel. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, this gift